This summer, Katie and I are preaching a series of sermons about the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about in his letter to the churches in Galatia. So I'll read parts of Galatians chapter 5. Paul writes to his friends in Galatia, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become servants to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorceries, enmities, strife, jealousy, angers, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I'm warning you, as I warned before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as you just hear near the end of his terse and powerful missive to the churches of Galatia, Paul gives us this list in which he tries to describe what life looks like under the sway of Christ's Holy Spirit. He calls them the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, etc. It's a beautiful image, but sometimes to energize my own sometimes slack imagination, I like to set up parallel metaphors or images next to those of the Bible. So I'm going to call this sermon series Facets of Faithfulness. There are nine facets of a single gemstone. One beautiful thing, the Christian life with nine gleaming aspects. And the second in Paul's list is the gift of joy. And Paul's original metaphor is powerful because the fruit of the earth is an interesting combination, isn't it, between God's free gift and humanity's hard work. God creates the peach tree, and then the orchardist plants the seed and prunes the trees and weeds the ground beneath. You remember what Carl Sagan used to say, right? If you want to make an apple pie from scratch, you first have to invent a universe. It took God five billion years to come up with that sack of peaches Lee Young Lee wrote about. And the second of Paul's gifts or fruits of the Spirit is joy. This is a facet of faithfulness. Joy is more gift than accomplishment, right? Not everybody gets it. Either you're born with it or not. It's an endowment, not an accomplishment, right? It's like left-handedness or blue eyes or perfect pitch, an endowment, not an achievement. Some people, many people, were born without the joy gene, and don't we know it? Do you know somebody who is surly and will never be anything more, no matter how Christian he coaxes himself into becoming? Don't answer that. Some of them, of course, live here in town, and the rest work at O'Hare and LaGuardia for Homeland Security. 
a cartoon in the New Yorker a while back showed a psychiatrist's office. There's an officious man in a white long coat standing in front of an official desk. There are diplomas on the wall, and there's a grim patient in the chair, and the doctor says to the patient, you tested positive for being negative. <laughs> Do you know anybody like that? Again, don't answer that. But we can't always be judgmental about sadness, right? Our community of faith here has been touched obliquely, thank God, by a number of severe cases of depression among friends of ours in our communities. Some, in some cases, the sadness was so acute that the individual took his or her life. We didn't see it coming, and even in its wake, we don't know what to do. But one thing we do know is that what's called for is not judgment, but compassion, right? In the myth of Sisyphus, the great French existentialist Albert Camus said that suicide is a decision that is forged in the private, silent parts of the individual's heart. It is enigmatic, and we have no right to judge such decisions. By some accounts, depression is the severest and commonest disease on the planet. Worse than cancer, worse than AIDS, worse than malaria. One in four of us will suffer from it at one point in our lifetimes. It costs the economy over $200 billion a year in the United States, 4% of GDP. It cripples lives and destroys family. And it looks as if joy has a chemical or a biological origin. It has something to do with the wiring in the brain or the endorphins that race through the blood or don't. Bobby McFerrin's song is clever and catchy. Don't worry, be happy. But it's also pointless and annoying because you can't compel an emotion, right? Be happy is a phrase that should never be couched in the imperative mood. Now, cognitive and kinetic activities are subject to the will, right? You can tell your body to do something and you can tell your mind to think something, but can you laugh when you're not happy? or weep when you're not sad, you can't compel an emotion. It's a gift, not an accomplishment. Which doesn't mean we have nothing to do, right? I bet you saw that coming. When we are in the doldrums, we can hoist and set our sails so that when the Spirit arrives, they will billow with gusts of joy and we can fairly fly across the swells. So five suggestions this morning, five strategies Try, attend, share, repair, and thank. Okay? First, try. You can't compel an emotion, but joy really isn't an emotion, is it? It's an attitude. And attitudes can shape our dispositions and enrich our lives. I've told you before what Friedrich Nietzsche had to say about this. Even 120 years after his death, the old German philosopher might be, if not the ablest, at least the most famous skeptic Christianity has ever had to confront. He was a preacher's kid, but quickly escaped the influence of the manse to hammer away at Christian truths. Someone once asked him why he did not believe in Jesus the Savior, and he said his disciples should look more redeemed. Yes? Could you look more redeemed? Can you fake it till you make it? 
They say that FDR had a little sign on his desk that read, Let Unconquerable Gladness Dwell. Do you love that? Let Unconquerable Gladness Dwell. Polio, Great Depression, Pearl Harbor, be damned. So try and attend. Attend to the irresistible, unmerited allure of the given world. You know, I know the world is being run now at the top by the grim, the humorless, the unkind, and the untruthful. And this is true from Pyongyang to Hong Kong to Tehran to Riyadh to Washington. But this is just the thing. They don't run the world. This is God's world, and this is so easy to see right now at this time of year. Our town town is so feckened with burgeoning life just now, from landscape to canopy, that it is as if we are living inside an emerald splendor. If you did not see that shade of verdant green with your own eyes, you could never even think it up. When I walk out of my house to get in the car to go to work in the morning, I am immersed in a redolent purple perfume that comes out of nowhere. And I wonder what expensive bottle this emerged from, but it's just the lilacs. And then I drive to church and come through the courtyard. It's the same thing here. It is as if God is trying to make me happy if I, only, if I will only pay attention. John Updike says, Ancient religion and modern science agree we are here to give praise or to slightly tip the expression to pay attention, to cultivate our, delight, cultivate our delight and wonder at existence itself and an occasional surge of sheer blind gratitude just for being here. Try, attend, and share. I think I might have told you this before, but In my last church, there was a relatively new member who quickly became a pretty good friend of ours. And early in his acquaintance with me, one day he came up to me and he said, your wife has the loudest laugh of any woman I have ever known. (laughs) I said, Joe, you haven't met her sister. (laughs) You should hear them when they're together. I said, Joe, I don't know if you meant that as a compliment, but I'll take it as one. That's how I'll take it. But it's not enough for her to enjoy her world. She has to share the joy. This compulsion in her is native, inexorable, and precognitive. All the rest must join her in her delight or it never happened. And so we'll go for a walk in the neighborhood. We'll walk to the soccer field in Hubbard Woods or to the hockey rink in Glencoe or we'll walk to Andrew Cheney's old manse on Hamptondale, where we live for a year. We'll go two or three miles, 45 minutes, and when she gets home, she says, that was so much fun. Thank you for walking with me. And we don't even have a dog. <laughs> or she'll, she'll, make a, she'll finish a meal that she herself has prepared all by herself, and she said, that was so delicious. So share, be an evangelist of joy. Make it viral. Try, attend, share, also repair, because life can be a series of paper cuts, yes? Any one of these by itself can't kill you, but at the end of the day they add up, right? 
So you're on your way out the door for school and work in the morning and one of your precious offspring has a meltdown and won't budge. And then driving to work, you get stuck in traffic or someone cuts you off. And when you arrive, someone makes a snide remark that is not quite cruel, but just a little uncaring. And then someone fails to complete an assignment they promised would meet your deadline. And then someone skips a meeting and doesn't tell you about it. And three or four other people are late. And then when you get home, your husband brushes past you as if you do not exist. All these little paper cuts are enemies of joy. So at the end of the day, you need a strategy to deal with this, right? Maybe you need a wee dram. Maybe you need a poem by Mary Oliver or Emily Dickinson. Maybe you need a happy painting. I don't know if it's Sunday in the Park with George or dogs playing poker. You need Veep or Parks and Rec or The Office. You need Mozart's Second Clarinet Concerto or Coney Island by Van Morrison, or Summer of 69 by Brian Adams. You need 30 minutes of silence and aloneness to put yourself back together. I don't know what your therapies are, but you need a toolbox of multiple gadgets to help repair the joy. And it will come back if you self-care. Try, attend, share, repair. Last, maybe most important of all, is thank, because there is no, no shorter path to joy than gratitude, right? The world is so beautiful and so wonderful, and it all comes from the grace of our glad God, and we've been living in the middle of this cosmic tour de force since the first of all our days, and so we start taking it for granted, but it is never to be taken for granted, Life is gift and birth windfall, and just to be here at all is a sort of extravagant privilege. There are days we live as if death were nowhere in the background, from joy to joy to joy, from wing to wing, from blossom to blossom to impossible blossom, to sweet impossible blossom. Praise the Lord. Amen. Pray with me again. God, we thank you that you have heard our prayers and have become our salvation. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen.